again. It widens and then contracts. Should it be here or over there? A woman with a red bucket balanced on her head turns down a path and instantly disappears into the bush. Thick bush, a tangled knitted green stretching over the earth, a hot wool itching with insects, snakes, and birds. I look at the green. The leaves are stitched together with sunlight. Dick, you gotta stop, says Bob. His wife, Melinda, has her hand over her mouth. Her eyes are panicky. Jackson stops. Melinda opens the door, leans out, wretches. She's been vomiting for the last two hours. When she sits back, I hand her a bottle of water. We are in the car driving to Magulu, where there is a government clinic. The hotel manager suggested Melinda call in the flying doctor, but she told him her eldest brother died at Dunkirk. Her mother is 101. If the government clinic is good enough for Tanzanians, then it's good enough for her. Melinda was horrified by the beggars in Arusha, by everything since. The huts people live in, the scabby dogs, the waiters at the hotel who make less in one month than she and Bob have spent for one night in the room. She's talked a lot to at by Jackson about civil rights in America, which he knows nothing about. He's never even heard of Martin Luther King. Bob says, It must have been the fruit salad. Everything else we had was the same. I say, I had the fruit salad. Bob glances at me. He's secretly annoyed. He likes to be right but it's also very important to him to be polite and protective, paternal in an old-fashioned, vaguely chauvinistic way. He insists on buying me a cocktail every evening, on holding open every door. He's probably my father's age, but nothing like him. This was supposed to be a private safari, just Bob and Melinda touring the Tanzanian bush. But at the last minute, I arrived, and the safari company added me. Melinda made Bob agree because it cut their cost by a third. She's very conscious about money, about the guilt she feels in having more in her wallet than any black person out the window has in a lifetime. I think Bob is just an old-fashioned cheapskate. In the buffet queue at the last hotel in Serengeti, I overheard him grumbling to Melinda about Jackson's expectation of a tip as politely suggested by the tour company. Haven't we paid enough for the safari? Bob asked. Isn't it the company's responsibility to pay the employees sufficiently? It's just a show of appreciation from us to him personally, counted Melinda. You know, for the extra effort he's put in. Oh, said Bob. And just what would that be? Slowing to 50 so we can catch a glimpse of a lion? Apparently, he went on, we should have stayed home and watched the Discovery Channel if we actually wanted to see the animals as anything other than a blur. Melinda is slim and fit for her age, late 60-ish, and neatly attired in a khaki ensemble. I imagine her speed walking around her neighborhood in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. In her tanned and weathered hands, she will hold little weights, 
and these she will swing vigorously to tone her upper arms. Bob has the expensive teeth of a much younger man. He tries to keep pace with Melinda, who is relentless in her forwards momentum. Even standing, she tilts forward by degrees. I'm sure she senses the decay that awaits Bob, who does not exercise and eats and drinks too much. It'll be a stroke, a heart attack, or cancer. In only a few years, Melinda knows she will become a caretaker, ferrying Bob to a series of specialists, keeping track of his oxygen intake, counting out his pills. Contained in a car for six hours a day, Melinda maintains checklists of birds and animals. She asks Jackson about trees, grasses, the weather, geology. His answers are usually vague, even plainly wrong, and I often see impatience glancing.